today on Summit Life, J.D. Greer talks about authority. Peter understood civil disobedience. I'm just suggesting to you that most of you cannot with a straight face put yourself on the same level with Martin Luther King and Corey Ten Boom. So let's be serious. For many of you, your problem with submission to earthly authorities is a problem with authority in general. You don't like anybody telling you what to do, including God. Welcome to Summit Life with Pastor J.D. Greer. I'm your host, Molly Vitovich. You know, the Bible clearly calls believers to submit to authority, and whether that's parental authority, a boss at work, or the government. But what about when they're morally corrupt? What if they're mistreating you or denying justice, asking you to do things you know you shouldn't do? Pastor J.D. deals with these sticky questions of authority today on Summit Life as he continues our series called I Am an Alien. We're nearing the end of this teaching, so remember that you can always catch up for free at jdgreer.com. Pastor J.D. called this message, The Mysterious Witness of Submission and Suffering. Let's jump in. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 is where we're gonna, we're gonna begin. Submission and unjust suffering. I'm gonna show you that both of these are valuable. Both of these are the part of the plan of God for your life, and they are part of how God intends to use you in the world. I realize that to this audience that I'm speaking to in particular, talking about submission is like rubbing a cat's fur the wrong way. It definitely does not set well with you, and there's a handful of reasons for that that you should realize. One is you are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, the original rebels, and their genes are in you, their blood is in you, and so that's just what you are by nature. You're a rebel. Now, our whole race is that way. But second of all, you are Americans, and our nation was born in rebellion. We're a rebellious people. If you don't believe that, just ask the British. And so it's part of our identity. We like to rebel against things because that's where we got all of our cool rights from, and that's where our nation was born. We rebel against everything because we want to stay in practice in case, you know, the British come back or somebody, we want to be ready to rebel again. Now, so you're Americans. Um, a third reason uh, that you guys are just sort of naturally this way is we value and place value on, on the freedom of speech. And that seems to foster rebellion. You ever notice this? I, I mean, you know, you just, if you don't believe me, just flip on talk radio on either side of the fence where all the collective wisdom of the universe gathers, you know, talk radio. And listen to how they talk about anybody in authority. No matter who we're talking about, parents, teachers, bosses, politicians, everybody is an idiot that's above us, right? I mean, I hear these people talking about, well, if President Obama would just do this, he could fix the economy. And I'm like, yeah, right, I'm sure he's never thought of that. What, what you just said, you thought that up in the backwoods, you know, place where you live, but, but he's never thought of that. Um, you know, it's just, it's just part of what we are. Sometimes it's hard for us to realize because we're inside this culture. Um, then you get outside this culture and you realize that this is not something that, you know, people enjoy everywhere in the world. When I lived in Indonesia, I remember whenever somebody would talk about the government in Indonesia, they would always lower their, their voice. Because it's like, I don't know who's listening, but you just can't talk about the government openly like that. Um, Rodel, our, our Spanish campus pastor, is from Cuba. And he says to this day, when his grandmother, who now lives here also, whenever she talks about the government, even the United States, she lowers her voice. We, we don't realize sometimes, and I'm grateful for the freedom of speech, please hear me, but just realize that it fosters sometimes in us this sense of, of, of rebellion. Um, another reason is that you are a post-1960s generation where rebellion was enshrined as a civic value. And of course, there were a lot of good things that came out of that rebellion. Civil rights, that's good. There were some not so good things that came out of the, that, you know, like a rebellion, a drop an acid and rebellion against deodorant, that's not so good, okay? Um, but it, that's just who you are. 
And so that makes rebellion part of our cultural ethos. It's just part of the air we breathe. Um, I'm talking to a a, a group of American post-1960s sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, group of rebels. You are the most rebellious people on the planet. To realize that, yes, what Peter is about to talk to you about should be very offensive to you. And if it's not, then I'm either not explaining it right or you're not listening. All right, so how's that for an introduction? All right, get your Bible. Look at it. Chapter 2, verse 13. You ready for this? Be subject for the Lord's sake to, I want you to read these next three words because I need you to make sure you get them. To what? Now see, like a third of you did that. This is exactly what I'm talking about. You're right. I said every, okay, look. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. How many of them? How many of them? Every human institution. That means bosses. That means parents. That means teachers. That means Government leaders, you are to be subject to every human institution, even leaders in places like where you work in your church where they have rightful authority. He says, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors, here's what's significant about that, verse 14. Who is emperor at this time? You know this? Claudius, who by anybody's estimation was an absolute moron, maybe literally, Maybe literally, he, I mean, he, you know, and he had all these kind of like special interest groups around him that caused him to just wreck Rome. Um, the Caesar after him that Peter would have lived under was Nero, and we know about him. His first act of lunacy was to deify Claudius, literally deify, which means declare him to be a god and then himself to be a god. After that, Nero developed this theory that his mom was trying to assassinate him, so he poisoned her and several of his cousins. He fashioned himself, Nero fashioned himself to be a musician. Uh, you've probably seen stuff about this. And he thought he was just awesome at playing music. So he would make his entire court, hundreds of people come and listen to his concerts for hours. Um, Historians like Suetonius tell us it was so bad that it would go on for so long that women would fake going into labor to be able to get out of the concerts. They, They would fake it. There was one guy, he said that actually faked death so they could be carried out and not have to go through this. So we're not talking about paragons of justice and equity and respectability and godliness. But Peter says you be subject to them even when those positions are occupied by ungodly people. Now at this point, everybody wants to say, well, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What about civil disobedience? And then they bring up some example like Corey Ten Boom. You ever heard of her? You know, the, 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 she hid Jews in her closet when the Nazis came. Or they bring up Martin Luther King like, hey, civil disobedience, civil rights, that was a good thing, right? right? And I appreciate those examples. I really do. But let's be honest. Most of you aren't in those situations. Anybody got Jews at home in their closet right now? Raise your hand, anybody? And the last I checked, the Nazi party wasn't really, you know, in power here anymore, or ever in America for that matter. Um, you know, and then, and, then, and then Martin Luther King, yeah, letters from a Birmingham jail explained that they tried to obey every single law they could. And they disobeyed peaceably the ones that were egregiously unjust, so yeah, I don't really know if many of you are in the position that Corey Timboom or Martin Luther King was in. Peter understood civil disobedience. He would ultimately be crucified by the state. So yeah, we're talking, he understands civil disobedience, but he's not talking to many of you that are in that situation. So he keeps going on. Look at this. Well, actually, let me talk for a minute more. Um, he says, obey the laws, respect the authorities, pay your taxes. Every once in a while, I'll talk to some young graduate student some know-it-all who managed to find a website explaining why we shouldn't have to pay taxes. No, no, civil disobedience does not apply to you. That's not a Corey Ten Boom situation. Or, or, or I'll talk to some college student 
who explains to me in very eloquent terms why we should legalize marijuana. They always know two verses, by the way. Genesis 1.12, and every seed-bearing plant that the Lord God made is good. That's one verse they know. And then Matthew 7.3, judge not lest you be judged. And I'm like, there's more in the Bible than those two. But they're like, oh, but no, it should totally be legalized. And you know what? Maybe you're right. I don't think so, but maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. The point is, it's not legal, and you have no place, in Peter's view, of rejecting a law that is not directly against the law of God. Well, I don't agree with the policy on underage drinking. I'm old enough to die for my country, but not old enough to drink a margarita at Chili's. No, you're not. All right? And until you can show me chapter and verse why that shouldn't be a law in our country, then you got no ground to stand on. This is exactly the kind of situation that Peter was talking about when he wrote this. You see that little phrase, for the Lord's sake? For the Lord's sake means when you disobey an authority, God views it as disobedience to him. That means that some of you are out of fellowship with God because you are in rebellion to God-ordained authorities in your life. I told you this was unpopular. Now again, Peter understood civil disobedience. I'm just suggesting to you that most of you Cannot with a straight face put yourself on the same level with Martin Luther King and Corey Ten Boom. So let's be serious. And let's do a heart check for a minute. For many of you, your problem with submission to earthly authorities is a problem with authority in general. You don't like anybody telling you what to do, including God. I'm just going to tell you, God's never going to be known that way. God is known only down the path of absolute surrender and submission. Some of you act like you want to know God. You come to church, you sit down, you take notes, but you're not willing to do what God says. God is the almighty God. He's not a life coach. He's not a spiritual advisor, which means you don't come to him and negotiate about what you want to do or what you don't want to do. God is known only through submission and surrender. And if you don't come that way, you're not going to know him at all. Let me deal with one more because I know some of you have questions about this. Parents. Yes, there is a time in our life when we are to be submitted to our parents as unto the Lord. Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Now, as you grow older, that changes. The Bible never tells adults to obey their parents. It tells adults to honor their parents. You see, for a while, our parents stand in the place of God when we're young, when we're living in their house. As you grow up and you move out of the house, you are becoming the man or woman God intended you to be. Your parents were like training wheels for a while, teaching you to relate to and obey God. After you have learned to relate to and obey God and you have moved out, then at that point, you honor your parents by becoming the person God intended you to become. So a college student, for example, will tell me, I graduated from college, I feel like God has called me to go to missions, but my parents are saying no. Am I supposed to obey them or obey God? It's obey God, right? Because you honor your parents by becoming who God intended you to be. That's what it means to honor them. You are honoring God whose authority was mediated through them. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking to you guys that are in sixth grade out there. My my daughter's not in sixth grade, but she was in the previous service. I made this crystal clear. When you're in your parents' house, yes, they do stand in the place of God. And so you are to obey them. And disobedience to them is disobedience to God-ordained authorities. This is Summit Life with J.D. Greer. We hope you're enjoying this teaching series in the book of 1 Peter. But before we get back to it, I wanted to let you know about our featured resource this month that we are offering to our listeners. It's a book called Sent. Living a Life That Invites Others to Jesus by Heather and Ashley Holloman. And if you're anything like me, finding opportunities to share the gospel with friends and neighbors can be tough. Sometimes I don't know where to begin, and sometimes I just overthink it. So if that's you, this book is a must-read. 
Heather and her husband, Ashley, offer practical ideas and strategies for how to naturally share the gospel with the people that God's already put in your life. You'll learn about the best questions to ask to get a gospel conversation started, seven ways to pray for the lost, and even how to identify what kind of gospel witness that God has wired you to be. To get your copy, give your gift today by calling us at 866-335-5220 or visit us online at jdgreer.com. Now let's get back to today's teaching here on Summit Life. Once again, here's Pastor J.D. Greer. Peter says, be subject to every human institution. Submit to them. He gives you two reasons why you should do this. Verse 14, because governors and authorities are sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, these are institutions ordained by God. These are institutions ordained by God. Verse 14, these institutions are what we are, are part of what we call common grace. Common grace are things that God left on the earth even after we you know, rebelled against him that just keep order and keep things alive. Like for example, the sun that comes up every day, that's common grace because God is allowing the sun to shine on believer and unbeliever alike. Well, in the same way he's left things like human governments on the earth, which yes, can be very unjust, but human governments, he says, were there to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. It's a way of keeping order on the earth. There are different institutions. There's the church, there is government, there is family, and one of, they should never do what the other one is designed by God to do. Church should never play government, government should never play church, government should never play family, family should never play, all that stuff, okay? So you've got different institutions that God left, and he says these are there to teach you how to relate to God. So that's your first reason. Here's your second reason, verse 15. For this is the will of God, watch this, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So write this down, number two, it's kind of long. Our humble submission to authority and our civic goodness are God's ordained way of putting to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Our humble submission to authority, our civic goodness, or God's ordained way of putting to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Peter fleshes this out in the next few verses, so let's keep, let's keep moving here. Verse 16, he says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. All right, you ready to think with me? Because this is a little bit deep. All right, why, why is it that most people obey the government? Why do most people obey the government? Because they're scared of what the government can do to them. Right, so you obey because you're afraid of the threats of punishment, or you obey because you know that obeying your boss or obeying the government is a way to get from them the things that you want from them. Now, Peter's talking to people who should be free of both of those motivations. You no longer fear anybody that can take your life. In fact, Peter will say that, that when you have to lose your life, when the government takes away your life for obeying God, then you face it boldly like he did. He was crucified upside down. He said, I'm no longer captive to the government because they can take away my life. I also no longer depend on what you can give to me to survive because God takes care of me. I'm no longer a captive to what you can do to me or what you give to me. Does that make sense? So I'm free, but I'm not going to use that freedom as a cover-up for evil, but I'm going to live as a servant of God. I am now going to obey, not because I'm captive to the things that everybody else is captive to, but I'm going to obey for God's sake, and I'm going to obey for the gospel's sake. So he continues, verse 17, you should honor everyone. Now, who does the world honor? Who does the world honor? The world honors people that can honor them in return. I'll give you an example. I, there, there, are, there are certain organizations 
that just have really get the whole idea of customer service. And I love those places. Disney World, Hilton Hotels, and they really honor you. And I go down there and I feel so important. They're calling me Mr. Greer and they're doing this. And especially if you get one of the, you know, the, the nice packages down there and they're just, but, but, but in my heart, I always know there's a reason they're doing this. And what is that reason? Because they want my money. They don't want me to give my money to a competitor, so they honor me. Peter is saying your honor is totally different because it's given to everyone. For example, a woman pulls on our church campus and she is a single mother, an unwed mother with three kids. Our first impressions team is trained to run to her and help her, not because we think she's gonna write us a big fat check in the offering, but because she is made in the image of God. She's precious to God and we want to honor her for those reasons and not for the world's reasons. We don't honor people any longer because of what they can do for us. We honor people because of what Jesus has already done for us. And so we extend that honor to them. We honor everyone, that's totally different. Next phrase, he says, love the brotherhood. That means there's a special love you have for your brothers and sisters in here. Third phrase, he said, fear God, honor the emperor. Little irony in this one, all right? Fear God, honor the emperor. Do you notice, here's the irony, that he uses the same word for the emperor that he used for everybody else? Here's the irony. In those days, the Romans thought that emperor was God. So Peter is kind of doing a little, you know, little lower cut jab. He's like, actually, the emperor is just like everybody else. So honor him, yes, as the emperor, but not as God because he's just a dude. Don't fear him, fear God, because God is God. Don't fear the emperor because the emperor is just a guy. You honor the emperor because he's just a person like everybody else. That's, that's, that's how you read the context there, okay? So honor the emperor. But I don't want you to lose the point because this is especially important considering the awful 12 months that we were about to go through this election season, you need to honor those that God has put in authority over us. This is an honorless generation. We don't honor anybody. I met you like, but I didn't vote for Obama. It doesn't matter. That is your emperor. You speak about him with respect. I'm not telling you you can't disagree. I'm not telling you you can't even argue about it. I'm just saying that you speak with a certain honor. Some of you, the way that you talk about your president is sinful. For some of you, the way you spoke about President Bush when he was president is sinful. And you honor them as authorities that God has placed. Now again, I'm not saying, I'm not saying you can't disagree. I'm not saying you can't criticize. I'm not even saying you can't ever call in to talk radio. I'm just saying that you do so and you speak about that, but you do it with a sense of honor. I think I probably learned this most clearly from my parents. My parents had strong political convictions. And my parents would talk about those convictions with passion and sometimes with anger. But at the end of the day, they would say, but you know what, that's our president, that's our senator, that's our government, you speak about them with respect. When I had conflict with a teacher, if there was a teacher that, yes, harmed me in some way, or they were unfair to me, my parents would take up my cause. But there was no in my house coming home and just whining and complaining about what a moron my teacher was because they said, that is a God-ordained authority in your life. And yes, you should speak about injustice when you see it, but you are to honor them as somebody that is there, put there in your life by God. When you live this way, Peter says, when you are submitted for Jesus' sake and not just for personal gain, when you honor people irrespective of whether or not they can pay you back, when you are devoted to serving and blessing and doing good to others, verse 15, Peter says you can put to silence, at least a little bit, the ignorance of foolish people. Have you ever experienced the ignorance 
of foolish people because you are a Christian. Have you ever experienced that? Anybody? If not, then you're not living right. Of course you have. Let me say something that I hope encourages you, or at least put some things in perspective for you. The church, the true church, in every age, has always been the subject of derision. Always. That's not new with your generation. That's not something the New York Times invented. First century, that Peter's writing to, first century Christians, the rumor among the Romans was that the Christians were cannibals. In their services, the Romans said, they would eat flesh and drink blood. If you're new here, that is not true, okay, just so you know that. Now, where they got that from was the fact that we eat bread, which symbolizes Jesus' body, and we drink a cup that symbolizes Jesus' blood, but that doesn't mean that at the end of our service, we turn one of our members into a buffet. That's totally different. That was a rumor that they started. The Romans said that that the first Christians were seditious, they were anti-government, that they were haters of mankind, that they were atheistic because Christians wouldn't worship idols, and and that they were immoral. How does Peter tell you to put that to silence? How does he tell you to do it? By overwhelming them with goodness. Now, someone, I don't know if you know this. I hope you do, but you are often spoken about with derision in our community. Did you know that? Now, how do you put that to rest? Do you preach angry sermons and start a blog talking about how dumb they are? Tempting? No. (laughs) No. You do this by overwhelming them with kindness. I know it's not going to shut everybody up, but at least in some ways it'll make what they say seem a little silly. By the way, the city council responded to this blogger saying that it was because of how much our church was doing to serve the poor in this community that they were inviting me to speak on your behalf. City council said, and I summarize, you cannot argue with the fact that everywhere this city has a need, there seems to be somebody from the Summit Church there meeting that need. This person responds on the blog, quote, just because a church spends countless hours helping the community doesn't mean we should let them speak to us. So my thought is maybe if you'd spend more time serving the poor and less time blogging in your mama's basement, you would be invited to speak at something like this. Which is probably not in the spirit of what First Peter is talking about. But you get the point, okay? That's pastor, author, and theologian J.D. Greer with a teaching he called The Mysterious Witness of Submission and Suffering here on Summit Life. Remember, if you ever miss a message, you can always catch up online at jdgreer.com. Not long ago, I got a chance to sit down with Pastor JD to ask him about our latest resource, this book that I shared about a bit earlier in the program, and why he's so excited about it. Here's what he had to say. This book, Sent, is a book that I read um, maybe a year and a half ago or so that really had an impact on me that I thought our church could really benefit from. And so now we're able to offer it here on Summit Life to our audience here as well. The book is called Sent. The subtitle is Living a Life That Invites Others to Jesus. And what it shows us is that when you embrace this identity of being someone who is sent, someone sent by God to reach the lost, that will not only change their lives, it will also change yours. One of the unique things about this book is that at the end of each chapter, there's a little thing called Steps of Faith that will help you think through the application of this to your relationships in your life. Molly, I'm just going to tell you, there's nothing in all my life that encourages me like seeing me used one-on-one with somebody as God 
uh, brings transformation into their lives. Don't miss getting your copy. Just go to jdgreer.com and we'll, we'll, we'll show you how. We'd love to get you a copy of Scent, Living a Life That Invites Others to Jesus by Heather and Ashley Holloman. We really believe that this will be a game-changing resource for you as you strive to have gospel conversations in your day-to-day life. If you've ever struggled to figure out how to start talking about your faith to your coworkers, friends, neighbors, or anyone else, this book is for you. It's written to help regular people like you and me come up with strategies to have natural evangelistic conversations. We would love to send you a copy with your gift of $35 or more. To give, just call us at 866-335-5220. That's 866-335-5220 or visit jdgreer.com. I'm Molly Vitovich. So glad that you joined us today and be sure to tune in tomorrow when we continue this study in 1 Peter called I Am an Alien. That's Thursday on Summit Life with J.D. Greer. This program was produced and sponsored by J.D. Greer Ministries.